0: Welcome to the inner world of filmmaking. I'm your host, Tammy McGarrow. I'm a writer, director, editor, and a podcast producer. In this show, I will interview filmmakers in all facets of production and distribution. In this episode, we will be talking about casting. We have the multi-talented Victoria Hoffman, who has starred in films like AHS 1984, Bosch, CSI New York, and many more. She's also a teacher, acting coach, director, and is the manager of casting at the AFI Conservatory. Welcome, Victoria. Thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Yay, thanks for having me. (laughs) So tell us a little about yourself and how you got into acting. Well, I kind of didn't have any choice about it. I'm from the Midwest from Kansas City, to be specific. And when I was growing up, my mother was a stage performer. This was right before the repertory theater movement, you know, came in. And so she was um, working with Kansas City rep at the time. and I used to go and see her on stage. And she tells me that when I was a baby, basically in the stroller, you know, she would uh-huh. escape the house and my two brothers who were terrors and bring me to rehearsal with her. And I would just sit there and not make a peep. So wow. I was so entranced by the whole thing. So um, I think that that's, that's where the love of it came. You know, when I went to, you know, in through high school and and in even college, you know, I thought, meep, meep maybe I'll be a theater major but it wasn't a thing that anybody did like for even for my mother it was kind of more of a hobby than a profession i think when i graduated college my father passed away and i thought wow if i'm going to really do this i need to take it seriously so that's when i went to get my mfa in acting and i think that's really when i you know donned the mantle and said okay I'm an actor. I'm going to really do this because you need to be prepared.
0: Yeah. Now, did you want to be a theater actor primarily? How did you transition into television or do you think it's just one is the other?
1: Well, uh, initially theater because that's, you know, that's what I knew. And um, it's uh, it's such comprehensive training. I think it is like the the British aesthetic. You know, you see so many Brits playing Americans right. in TV film so many of them, you know, they're, they're studying theater first, because it's so it's your voice, it's your body, it's text analysis, it's all of that. So it gives you all of these tools, right? It's a different kind and size of performance. But I think for, for those of us that came up in theater, we will say to you, well, that's the only training, that's the training that matters, (laughs) you know? Um, But, you know, there, there are so many different kinds and of training ways to train methods to train right and so ultimately for an actor it just comes down to what what speaks to you and what resonates with you right so for me once i moved out to california it's like oh it's tv film oh you better learn how to adjust your performance because it's you know different it feels different it feels different on the inside and you've got to figure wh- figure that out you know Right, yeah. And you have to
0: stop, redo take two, take three, which in theater you don't do.
1: <laughs> no, but in theater, if you have to do eight shows a week, there is a level of consistency that you have to be able to maintain. Yes. You know, so the idea of, okay, well, I got to do, you know, another take, and, and depending on the, the piece you're doing, ooh, that has to match that take exactly because, you know, there's a, there's a continuity. script that they have to follow. There's to, continuity. Yeah, yeah. right? I will say that there's, you know, pluses and minuses to both of the styles because, you know, for a piece of theater as an actor, it's, it's a gorgeous experience because you get to take a character from point A to point Z and you get to experience the entire arc in the time that the play takes to perform. Yes. And that could be 90 minutes, it could be two hours, it could be three hours, depending. But when you're shooting a film or a piece of television, and also depending on the way the director works, you're shooting out of sequence, you know? Right. A, a, but you're only responsible for small chunks at a time. Yeah. Right? So film actors will say, oh, they love that. It's so freeing. Yeah. Theater actors will say, oh,
0: <laughs> that's so <laughs> Right. <laughs> Wait, where am I? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And to get into that role or that seriousness not with the evolution to get there. Yes. You have yeah. to instantly get there and then go back. <laughs> so I mean,
1: this is why, you know, we, we we bow down. You you see somebody like a Meryl Streep. You see somebody with that kind of control over their, like, emotional life to know exactly where they are at any given point, regardless of what order they're shooting in, where they are emotionally, yes. you know? Yeah. Um, it's amazing. Certainly got to do the work. Got to be prepared. So... Right. I, yeah. Anything you wake up one morning and say, I'm gonna be an actor, it's easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't think there's anything easy about it.
1: <laughs> it feels like a lot of hard work. But I mean,
0: so rewarding. I was I was thinking about this. You know, it must be weird for an actor that their job is to perform scenes out of sequence and never really get to see the whole movie until the end. Yeah.
1: And then if they even see it. Because some don't even watch yeah, themselves. Some can't. Some absolutely can't. Yeah. And it's quite true, you know, film, ultimately, so many decisions are made in the editing room, you know? Like yes. It's, you know, you can say, well, it's more of a director's medium, you know? Um, but even so, even so, you, you the actor, you'll be on set and you'll give, you'll do several takes and maybe they'll be slightly different. Um an, an idea you have, an idea the director has. You know, you're uh, you're 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 collaborating, you're creating this thing, but until that director sits down with the editor and puts it all together, they don't even know which take they're gonna use until they get there. Right. So you the actor, you have no idea. You might have one like wow, I really like take two and then he's like, oh they used that one? Why would they use that one? Right. That wasn't my favorite. Yeah. So so you have to have such a level of trust you yes, know? or I guess you have to be really willful and never do anything different on any take, which won't get you hired that often,
0: <laughs> I suppose. Right? Well, so what transitioned you from acting, which you still do, but into teaching, wanting to teach acting?
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, it's a couple things. It's you know teaching and casting. All of this sort of happen concurrently in a way, mm-hmm. right? So when I moved here. I was a terrible waiter. You know how act, most actors like get jobs as waiters and things <laughs> right, like that, yep. right? And I couldn't do it; like I was horrible at it. Um, so I fell into commercial casting at that time, and I know w- we'll be talking about that um, soon enough. But in doing so, you know, I found that I was in, you know, in in the trenches in commercial casting, and at the same time you know, I was asked to start teaching some commercial acting classes at a place called Beverly Hills Studios. And so this was um, mainly on the weekends and kids and teenagers. And because I worked in commercial casting, it made sense to segue into teaching this, right? And I found that, oh, you know, especially kids and teenagers, because, you know, and en- en- you'd have to have a certain energy just to be able to meet them where they live, you know what i mean, and still make it fun, right? right and, I, exactly. and i and i understood that this was something that was that i was really good at. And having the MFA in acting and directing, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. You qualified to teach all over the place. And so at a certain point, you know, my husband who was teaching at USC at the time said, you know, you should really think about teaching on the college level, you know, it's, um, not only is it rewarding, but you know, it, it, with everything else that's going on with your schedules and you're like, okay, uh, bookings are up and down for actors. You want something that, you know, that is, that is fun, that is rewarding, but that's still like, pays your bills. Right. And a friend of mine was teaching at Pasadena city college and she was teaching theater history and it's hard to get, to get these jobs in the first place, but as fortune would have it, she was going to be directing something at another college, which meant that she couldn't teach her theater history classes. And this all happened rather quickly. And so she was able to say to PCC, I know exactly who can teach this. Right. And so I was like, Oh my, can I teach theater history? Oh my, how, how am I going to do that? You know? <laughs> um, and, but, you know, I just sort of jumped in and saw the textbook and, and with my husband's help, because I had to create a slide deck and, all oh, that my gosh, I have to teach theater. But it was, um, it was a, an overview. So in that sense, I didn't have to get too detailed, right? Right. And then I found that, wow, wait, people are really, you know, these students at PCC, many of them who didn't, who hadn't really seen any live theater, were... Being very interested in the history of it, uh-huh. you know, because of the way that I taught it was that was then. This is now because there's always new versions of the classics. That's true. Reenvisioned for a modern age, and so you know, so I would show them the new versions of things, and then it was like, oh well, you want to teach an acting class? Yes, yeah, so I would love to teach an acting class. That's going to be fun, you know. So <laughs> there was sort of a natural progression of how that happened. Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah and when opportunity knocks, you know, pretty much say yes.
1: Yeah, and it's that same thing. Like, are you prepared? And it's the same yeah, time. I could true. have easily said, oh, "But I've never taught it before. How, how, how? I don't want to feel like an imposter because, listen, imposter syndrome is a thing for everybody in so many hmm. industries, right? But particularly when you're teaching, you're thinking like, "Well, I, you know, can I really do this if I haven't done it before on this level? But at the same time, I've been doing this, you know, my whole life, so right, I know a lot." <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's kind of where I was going with that is that um, here you are, you have an, a degree and and been doing this for a long time. It's just figuring out the technicalities of teaching at a college, right? I can't even imagine doing teaching classes, acting classes on Zoom, It, it you know, especially if you have to interact.
1: You know, what's interesting about it, again, because, you know, we'll, We'll be talking about casting and film and all of that. But boy, once you move your acting classes to Zoom, it's a box. It's a camera. Oh. So it becomes quite specifically more about film acting, about subtleties. Interesting, You know, um, rather than stage movement and, and all of that, mm-hmm. you know? So really perfecting those
0: nuances and yeah. performances and then – taking them into a stage, eventually back to a stage, then you really can flow. So
1: you're really kind of yeah. fine tuning their skills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And their uh, uh, text analysis capabilities, and their searching for subtext, and, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things that involve so much nuance and, you know, and real consideration. You coached, Mila
0: Kunis. Was this before she was famous on that 70s show? Or how did that come about?
1: <laughs> yes, indeed. I was her first ever acting teacher. <laughs> so, y'all, I love this story. She was 10. She was 10. And this was at that uh, place I told you about Beverly Hills Studios. Her brother used to bring her to class on the bus. They would take the bus. Um, from WeHo, where they lived. And that particular class, they were a bunch of nine and 10-year-olds. So there were probably 10 people in class. And I can remember that there was another boy in class who was super wanted to be an actor as well, right? And he said something like, because I always ask them, why are you here? What do you <laughs> want to do? Why are you here? Because I always want to make sure that the kids want to be there. And it's, this isn't a thing. Oh, because my parents said I needed to be, right? Right. Um, and this one other kid, his name was Christopher, he said, he goes, I wanna be an actor. <laughs> right? And Mila said, I wanna be on television, you know? And which is a different thing, do you know what I mean? At yes. the time. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they they felt like different things, do you know what I mean? And of course, she always had that face, you know, she was always just she was so incredibly beautiful, right? But um, really determined right? And so this was a commercial acting class initially, right? So (laughs) she said that to me, I said, Mm -hmm. then you will be absolutely, like, there was no doubt (laughs) in my mind ever that this was going to happen. So the thing with Beverly Hills Studios is initially it's all commercial acting. And then we added, we added like some improv, you know, for kids and teenagers, we added an audition class because Kids would get commercial agents, but then they wouldn't know how to actually go into a room and audition for a casting director because it's a whole different experience, you know, that experience, right? But initially it's commercials. They get through the program. We're going to showcase them to um, agents and managers, right? So I think there was like a commercial class and there may have, may have been a, a couple of other classes that, that she took before this showcase happened. We showcased them to agents and managers doing commercial copy, right? Everybody wants Mila. It's like, look at that face, you know? And her manager at the time, um, I think she's still with her. Susan, I ha- oh my gosh, I have to look it up. I'm now forgetting her name. Um, Susan called me and said, you, ha- you have to get me Mila. You have to get me Mila. You have to get me Mila, right? Um, and, <laughs> you know, because if they get a lot of offers, sometimes parents don't exactly know, well- who should I work with? You know, what should I do? And, right. and I really felt like um, this manager didn't have a lot of clients, you know, so she was going to be able to give Mila um, real attention and really um, help her folks as well, like to create a career and a trajectory, which is of course exactly what happened. Because with Mila, she's going to walk in the room and she's going to do the work and be ready, right? And so for a certain amount of time, yeah. I still coached her when auditions came up, when theatrical auditions came up. But, you know, when that 70s show came up, there was a thought or a message from the producers, at least as I understand it from her manager, that um, that they really wanted some fresh faces and people that didn't feel overly coached or trained, right? So, <laughs> uh-huh. so it's like, oh, so you just... Kind of want her to go do her thing, and let's not overwork her audition. Do you know? It's like ah, fine, great. Um, you know, right. and the rest is history, right? Uh, also, I'm going to tell you who else came out of Beverly Hills Studios was Efrain Ramirez. Um, Efren played hmm. the character Pedro in Napoleon Dynamite, right? I loved him, right? And he's had a, a mar and continues to have a marvelous career. You know? Yes. So there's a, there's a lot of really wonderful people that came out of that program, you know, that we were tangentially responsible for.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it must be really great to see somebody that you've worked with and then see them on the screen.
1: How cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, you get to a point of feeling almost like a proud parent for sure, right? Right. You know, to think of what that little girl, Mila, said she wanted for her life and career, And to see that she has, I'm sure it is even bigger and more wonderful than any of her expectations. Do you know? Yeah. Um, She just gets, you know, better and better every year and and is living such a happy life. And so I think that um, happy, balanced life, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, she's a wonderful actress, and seeing her being interviewed and stuff, she just seems like a very down-to-earth, really kind person. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I think that that comes through in her acting.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're a casting manager at the AFI Conservatory Film School. How did you get into
1: casting? Isn't that interesting? I created a position that never existed before at a film school. Love it. Having a casting manager at a film school – you know, because usually the, <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the students are on their own. They got to go out and find their casts and, you know, good luck to you. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting, isn't it? It's an amalgam of things, right? Because I'm an actor, because I work, have worked in casting for so many years and I, you know, and I cast for a lot of, uh, Los Angeles theater as well, intimate theater. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have all these different, you know, a- a- avenues, uh, you know, to to knowing actors and to knowing them well and to knowing their work and to knowing their range, you know. And so, when the thing at AFI dropped in my lap, you know, it was a, it was initially a shared job between SAG-AFTRA and AFI mm-hmm. because SAG-AFTRA, the you know the the television and film. Performers Union um, has a uh, a conservatory. They call the LA Conservatory. That is this wonderful organization, and you get you know networking and classes and workshops. And then you're in a database for AFI films, right? So when it used to be both of those entities, at one point the the LA Conservatory needed so much more time that they needed a program manager that would only be working. At the classes and workshops and doing those things, Uh, but AFI still needed somebody to oversee how the casting worked, right? Right. Um, So yeah. So then that's why I said, "Well, we could call me the casting manager, and let's figure out what that is and what that looks like." Right. So what has become in the last. Couple of years, particularly since the shutdown, I was like, "Oh, was anything happening while everybody was, you know, uh, working remotely?" Um, Well, AFI was very busy. You know, the classes move remotely, but because there is a me, because there is a casting manager, I was able to, you know, cast actors for Zoom table reads for the screenwriting program, for Zoom directing classes, master directing classes, where they they had to morph and become about directing the actor over Zoom, but because mm-hmm. that's how casting is happening now, and that was how a lot of a lot of those initial directing sessions were happening. It made sense in the moment, like, okay, let's see what that looks like. And then I am now, you know, teaching them and overseeing all the short films that the first year MFAs shoot. And they shoot like about like eighty-four short films a year in you know, in, in the way the AFI program works, where they're now releasing breakdowns, but, but I can mentor and, you know, show them the, you know, the, the best practices about how to release a breakdown and how to call actors in and how to read a resume and how to, uh, how to, Run, like, do a self tape or a Zoom callback, um, you know, um, and, and how to communicate with actors. And more importantly, for any of the actors listening, how to value actors. So I take it very seriously, right? But then as well, because the AFI Conservatory has n- need for actors all across campus, um, and now that we're pretty much back in person with masks and vaccinations and Needing PCR tests to get on campus, you know. I'm also, you know, providing actors when asked for all kinds of on campus exercises and master classes. So, um, really fun and really rewarding and really busy. But it's really, uh, but it feels really gratifying to create opportunities for actors to make relationships with up and coming filmmakers and then to introduce these filmmakers to some of the best talent in LA, you know, ones that, uh, that are willing to be a part of the academic experience that understand the, why that, why that's important, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So can you just walk us through how casting works? Sure.
1: For people that may not know what that is or how to do it. Yeah. Because we, you know, you know, we, we talk about it all the time, you know, in, in school in terms of like, what is your relationship with your casting director? Okay, director, producer, you're going to go make a thing and you're going to hire a casting director. Well, what does that even mean or look like? Right? Yeah. What do they do? (laughs) So I might get a query from a a director or a producer, right? And you want to find out the the nuts and bolts of it. An academic experience, like a a student film is going to be different than a film out in the world that's going to have a a certain budget, be working under a certain contract or not? Is it union or non? You're, you're going to ask all the questions from the casting side so that you understand the nature of it. And then you're going to read the project to see if it's even one that you resonate with because it's hard to cast something that you don't resonate with. Or for me, that I know, oh, that's not my network. I'm not sure I'm the right person for that. I can't speak to how to other casting directors because sometimes they might say, um, you know, they're, they're really good at what they do and they'll find the people you know right. yeah you know you then you know you interview um i know at afi they'll have conversations with you know casting offices cuz you know it is it is a relationship it is a collaboration so you just want to make sure that you're on the same page so okay um i say yes let's work on this yay right so you, know, you have a conversation with the director, and sometimes it's a writer-director, so they really know their screenplay, right? Yes. Or sometimes it's director and producer, right? But you get an idea of you know, who they're looking for, what kind of actors they're looking for, right? And based on that, you're able to then write up a breakdown that you can release to the larger community. Right. So, community of actors, agents and managers, you know, via Breakdown Express, which is Actors Access, via Casting Network, so many different places you can release this. Or if you're looking for something really specific or a, a kid, you know, you can, you know, you might find, oh, we need to do a massive search. This is, this is an unusual um, character with a very, you know, with a very specific skill set or ethnicity or gender identification, um, you know. So you might. Can you tell us what a breakdown is for people that may not know what that meant? So yeah, a breakdown is a list of character descriptions of roles that are being sought by this production. These are these. This is who we're looking for, and. Uh, you know, depending on how you release it, actors submit yourself or agents and managers submit your client that you that you believe is going to be right for this role, right? And I mean, again, I'm speaking from my experience. You know, if you're talking to Sarah Finn, who cast for the Marvel Universe, <laughs> her, her and has, you know, <laughs> a dozen. Or two, fifteen people in her office. Her office is, you know, huge and prolific. And okay, their process is going to be very different than mine, my friends. <laughs> I'm just going to say, yes, I right. want to work in exactly. Are you kidding me? I think it would be just so invigorating. But, um, um, but from my perspective, it's like, okay, so you you release this breakdown that has all of the project information, all of the dates, what the contract is, who the characters are, and people submit. My job then is to look through all those submissions and discern who I think based on what the director has told me are going to be the right actors for, you know, for this particular project. But also to filter through and say, "Ooh, you know who would be interesting in this because sometimes it's different. Sometimes I might say does that have to be a man? Can that be mm-hmm. a woman?" Right? Um, are you open to all ethnicities? Right. Okay. Good. Um, oh wow. You know what? Um, I know this amazing non-binary actor that could be really interesting in this role. Right. Just finding the right actors for the role. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and now in in the before times, you would then schedule those actors for auditions, and they would come into your office and they would read mm-hmm. and If you were smart, you would have your casting assistant there with a camera to record the audition because you always need to refer back. You know, you have an experience in the room, but you have to have something to refer back to and to send on to your director slash director producer if they're not able to be in the room with you right now. Because of the shutdown, and because most most actors know this at this point, everything is being done with self-tapes. So what you're doing is you're sending out a request for people to send you tape, and you're sending them very specific instructions um, about what you need and where to upload it, and then the and, then, and by what deadline. And then when they come in, it's like, and now I have to watch them all and send on. However many the directors requested, like you know, um, hey, I think these are the ones that you should see." Or if they say, "No, nope, I want to see all of them, great, then you know, then we'll we'll send you all of them to watch, right? Um, well, and unfortunately,
0: you can't give them notes like you would in an audition. This you is would true. say, "Hey, could you do it this way?" And now do you ever go back to them and say, "Hey, could you try it another way or not at that point?
1: You can do Like I know at AFI, sometimes somebody might send a self-tape and they might send it to me before they send it to, you know, on to the director and producer. And sometimes I will say, you know what, do you have time? <laughs> right. Could you just try it one more time, but do this, you know, um, there are some offices, you know, out in the, in the real quote unquote real world that say, you know, if you can, Upload your self tape early. Where we watch them as they come in, we want the opportunity to redirect you. Oh wow, right? that's great. Many actors will say that it rarely happens. Yeah. Um, y- you know, because things are so fast paced, particularly in television. So we are missing that ability to to get an adjustment in the room, because the adjustment could be the difference between you're getting a callback and not, and If you don't get the opportunity to do that in a self-tape, then, you know, the casting office is like, nah, not right, moving on, right? So... Right. And also, um,
0: when you're in an audition with somebody, you get a feel for them. And you might even, in the back of your head, think, hmm, I'm going to keep a note of this person for maybe different, you know, opportunities.
1: Yeah. I mean, the way that it's working now, because callbacks... Uh, are on Zoom or in the different, you know, casting, um, you know, like programs, like Breakdown Express has what they call EcoCast. And they have an EcoCast live where you can just run your call back through there. Casting Networks has their version of it where you can just run your call back or people will do Zoom callbacks, you know. Um, So that's an opportunity for while everybody might be in different locations, they're all in the same room together online. So at least the director can give the actor, you know, adjustments in the moment, Mm -hmm. right? You just miss direct eye contact, you know? Now, not... Everybody.
0: So, are are they like in waiting rooms? So you have people kind of coming in, and then yeah. you just pull one in at a
1: time. I was I was thinking like yeah. everybody comes in. <laughs> I, I didn't think that's what you'd be saying, but there's always there's always a waiting room, and like actors have all these stories about like you know because things will run late. That's what they will do. And it's like you know you just you just hope that oh please casting office give me a heads up when I'm actually on deck when I'm give me a two minute warning or something because. If they're running really, really late, you don't want to just sit there in front of your computer because your energy will just, you know, die. (laughs) So, like, I'm gonna go, whatever. And you know, it is the thing. Like, we know that this is never going away. You know, self tapes and online callbacks and things like that are are at this point here to stay. The hope is that there will at least be. You know, more opportunities for hybrid situations when people feel comfortable being in a room again where, you know, a a director might say, I would really like to have this in the room where I can, you know, meet the actor personally. But, you know, again, it's been it's been um, it has sort of bust open the gates, you know, it's bust them wide um, because, you know, actors can be auditioning from anywhere now for everything depending on what the contract is and whether or not, you know, a production can fly you in, uh, but it's the same, you know, producers and directors can be almost anywhere now and, you know, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to log into this callback and, you know,
0: yeah, see what's
1: going on. So, so. So you, do you think that that's going to
0: kind of be, so the future of casting will be more of a hybrid, even when
1: we're out of this pandemic, do you think that we'll ever. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that you know, it happened in voiceover too. You know, um, voiceover sessions were always in studio. You know, all the, the all the great equipment, and you know, and the directors on the other side of the glass, and it's all collaborative. And and listen, a lot of animation has been able to get back in studio. You know, with all the safety precautions, with plexiglass in between each actor, like when you want the when you want all the interaction between actors. But again um because voiceover actors were able to you know um uh, switch so easily to working from their home booths um there was never a break in 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 voiceover work and and everyone's gotten so good at it that you now have producers realizing oh I don't have to rent a studio like I don't have to use the money there well do I want to you know so then I just think it becomes. At what point does a production and/or a producer and/or a director and/or a casting director say that? But this one will be more effective if we can do it in person. You know. So, for instance, uh, I did some dubbing for a Netflix series. And a lot of those, there's a lot of dubbing houses around town. Obviously, it's gotten so popular because um, because of everyone being shut in, they're they're making sure that there, there's so many European series that are now available, and so many uh, people that don't want to read subtitles that you know that they're you know rushing to get you know um, great actors doing the doing the dubbing. Now, those most of those directors, you know, they they prefer that you come in so that you can see the, you know, so you can see the visuals of what you're dubbing. It can be done with the combination of Zoom and everything in your booth, but it is more efficiently done at their studio. And I know for me, it's like, oh, I I am coming into your studio. I don't want to do this from home. (laughs) Um,
0: Well, and also um, Zoom has a little bit of a delay depending on your internet. So I don't think that would be the wise for dubbing. Yeah. Where you have to actually mock um, or ADR. I mean, voiceover—that's something different. Like, if you're an animated character and you just have to read lines, maybe you could do that at home. But then you're also required to have to get equipment. You
1: have to buy your mic. You have to be in a quiet place. So, yeah, the programs they use to record, much like much like this podcast, mm-hmm. you might be on Zoom to get your direction, but they're recording your audio over something like Source Connect or you know some other program that doesn't have lag, at least. Everyone's gotten very good at that, at the technology, yes, at being their own engineer, even though we all grumble about right. it. Right, I know. <laughs> and for your listeners, we had our own problems connecting today. And, <laughs> right. And I'm supposed to know better. Do you know? It's just like, ugh. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, that at the end of the day, that's what I've learned is doesn't matter what you do, there's always going to be technical difficulties. And then it's just what do you do in the tech technical difficulties. I just think you just got to work it out, figure it out. I mean, worst case, we would have had to record on Zoom. I mean, I've had to do that. I like Zencaster, so I didn't want to do that, but that would would have been my next step. So we would have still gotten this done. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) So I was wondering, being a casting manager, has
1: that helped you with your own auditions for TV and film? Absolutely. First of all, working in casting all this time, right? as I said, I started working in commercial casting. And by doing that, like, that's the best day job ever because at the big commercial casting studios, those auditions aren't happening that way right now. But, you know, there's multiple studios. So not only was I around more and people could say, oh my gosh, you're right for this, come and audition for this. But being able to observe so much, you see what works and you see what doesn't. But for me, I have a very healthy Attitude and understanding about how the casting process works. You know, there's so many ways to tell a story. I know from theater casting, sometimes we would get to a callback session and realize, oh, here's this beautiful pair of people. We have three different ways we can cast this. That pair was amazing. That pair was amazing. That pair was amazing. How does the director want to tell the story, right? right? And so if it doesn't land on me, it has nothing to do with my perf- it's like my performance, I don't take it for Oh my God, I didn't do it right. Was I bad? No, I just wasn't that director's vision of how to tell the story, right? Right? So I just you know I just keep doing my work. What I can control is my choices, what I do in the room, or what I do on the self tape. What are the things I can control, right? So I think it does help, and also for me, I can just laugh sometimes because I can, I can tell also when I was like, "Wow, am I really going to send that?" That's I, I didn't put enough work on that. Right, you know, like I will admit this to your listeners. Sometimes, like I get <laughs> in a hurry too, and it's like, oh, man, yeah, I really shouldn't send that. I need, I needed more time for that one. Right, I'm not auditioning as, as much as so many of my friends who are doing it full time, full time. You know, because I am. When you're doing sort of a, the multi hyphenate kind of thing, it, it can splinter your focus. And and mm-hmm. and I will admit to you that you need your focus. When you're auditioning, when you have your actor hat on, you have to do everything in your power to give yourself the time and the space and the energy and the focus to deliver the best audition you possibly can. Best one you got in, yeah.
0: Yeah. And on that note, um, any tips for actors when submitting to a role and showing up for an audition, especially when it was in person or becomes back in person?
1: Well, in both in both instances, whether it's in person or whether you're sending a self-tape, you really need to be prepared. be prepared. You need to do the work, right? You say, well, do I need to be memorized? Obviously, for self-tapes, it looks better when you're not looking away, but if somebody sends you 12 pages and then they say that they need it by that night or they need it by the next day, if you spend all your time trying to memorize 12 pages the, the read itself might not be as rich, mm-hmm. you know? So you take your time making your choices, knowing the script very well, but saying, I guess I'm going to have book in hand or I'm going to find a music stand or a way to post this someplace where I can look at it. Like everyone has whatever their their individual cheat might be if they need it. You know, some people memorize really well. It's about being prepared and doing the work, making choices Knowing what you're auditioning for, knowing the genre, knowing the style, looking up the, hey, this is a scene with like the lead actor. If you didn't look it up or do your homework and you don't know that, listen, I, you know, I did that episode of The Shrink Next Door and I got to work with Paul Rudd and it was super exciting. One of the actors that was on set that day that also had a speaking role did not know that this was a podcast, The Shrink Next Door. This was based on a podcast you know, I said, hey, well, go home and listen to the podcast. Our time frame is episode three of the podcast. So you understand the world that you're going to jump into because, you know, it was, it was multiple days. So there was time to to do that, right? It's like, wow, no, you got you to gotta do your homework. You have to know these things. Yeah. Should you dress the part in your uh, self-tape? As much as you can. But I mean, you know, it's not that necessary. Oh, I'm playing a doctor. I'm going to wear a lab coat. I mean I guess you can. You can also just wear a crisp button-down shirt and that's all you need. It's because it's not it's not necessarily the external. Okay. Like you have to you still have to do- get to the heart of the character. You know, take your time with it. Don't be rushed about it, but also, you know, don't be in your head about it because you know, if you're if you're out there and you're saying you're doing 20 takes because you've got the time, but you're making yourself crazy and you can't decide which one to send. Like that's going to make you crazy as well. Right? Right. Now some people, you know, a lot of people are doing their own self tapes. I mean, get a reader, really go to your network and see who can jump on zoom with you and let, or, or now that we can be together, if somebody can come over to your house and be your reader, but you know, find some people that you can trust because, Having a good reader makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard sometimes. I just find it disconcerting when I get a tape and somebody says, Well, I couldn't find a reader, and they just are doing their half of the lines. Oh. You know, and I understand it, but it doesn't, it still is not a complete experience for me when I have my casting hat on watching, right? I think that's a thing that we all have to just handle. You got to just figure it out. And there's resources for online readers to help you. So there's all kinds of things that actors can do. It's just that to be a professional actor in current time, you are being a, a wardrobe designer, a lighting designer, a DP, an editor. You know you're you're having to do all those things. I know I've got I've got some friends who are filmmakers. One a woman in particular, she loves silk tapes. She <laughs> loves she loves the process. She loves getting into you know different characters and finding the wardrobe and like doing all that. And she's an amazing editor in her own right. Like she knows how to do all that stuff. So for her, this has been the best thing ever. Oh yeah. But we're not all her, right? <laughs> but we all have to figure it out. Do you know what I mean? So right. Is there any stories you
0: could tell us of some auditions where you felt people missed the mark that you could kind of give us some examples of things you've seen happen? Hmm, That's a really good question. I mean, I think, so. you know, like not bringing their headshot, uh, like as simple as that not knowing their lines when they
1: come in, definitely not knowing their lines or definitely not making any perceptible choice. About a character, right? I mean, I certainly have seen this in theater auditions, and you know, those have started to be in person again, so people can actually be like on stage, right? And you're taking the stage. But you can really tell when a person has just not made any choices at all. They're just sort of walking through a thing, or they're relying on their personality, Mm. not on their ability to really mind the. Um, emotional life of the character. One thing that I notice a lot of people don't do is really give time and space for the pre-life, for the moment before. Where is the character coming from? What just happened? What is that pre-life? And now, sending in self-tapes, you know, you can improvise with your reader or give yourself as much pre-life as you want because you're going to only edit to the couple of seconds before, but you're coming into the scene having coming from someplace, physically and emotionally.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's so much more interesting. Like, that's somebody that gets me right off the bat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, let's face it, you know, we don't, when you were in the room, you had the whole space of your entire read to show you know, to say, hey, this character starts here, ends here, right? But when we're doing these self-tapes and because people are in such hurries, you know, they might look at that first 10, 15, 20, 25 seconds, whatever, And if they're not seeing it, they'll move on. Right. Yeah. So if, you know, you, you're wanting to, and, you know, people can't see us, but you're wanting your, the person watching that self-tape to want to just like lean in and say, what is that? That's interesting." Right. And if you just Yeah. Start with your line, you don't give yourself that space, it's just not as interesting. And we won't you know, and and, and it won't hold the interest to watch the whole the the audition in its entirety, you know? So Yeah. And yeah, and it just again, not being prepared. And for callbacks for callbacks Mm. unless it's just absolutely impossible, you should be off book. You know? Unless something's going on in your Mm -hmm. life and you can say, I just, you know, there's no way, right? But you're going to be freer if you don't have to think about the lines. Right. You know? So I still believe for callbacks, it is advantageous to be off book. I can't speak to the 15 page callbacks. Yeah. On Zoom because least at the AFI Conservatory we don't have those because we're doing short films so <laughs> right yeah but if you're yeah, seeing, I didn't think of that if you're seen as three pages there should not be any reason you can't commit that to memory and, yeah and be, and be available to play you know And I think that's another thing as well that I that I want to say is is Tammy is you know also being open, being willing to, to take direction and make a change. On a dime, you know. Yeah, just having that ability within yourself to to be redirected, even if it maybe seems odd. You don't you don't know where that direction is coming from. If they're getting something from you, or if they just want to see how flexible you are,
0: right? Yeah,
1: you might get a piece of direction that feels really strange, but you know, but go with it and make it work.
0: Right. I like what you said. Playful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is play ultimately, you know?
0: Well, yeah. And I was thinking about that too, is that, you know, this is your job. I mean, you know, acting. So when you take the time to learn the lines, this is a part of the work. It's kind of like showing up to a job and not doing what you need to do to do the job. I mean, so I I like that. It's be prepared, show up professionally And be
1: ready to play because this is what you signed up for. Listen, even if you can't, I know for pieces of theater, I've seen the most brilliant auditions where the person for their initial thing wasn't off book, but they had done the work. They knew every emotional beat. They had gotten in there and they had done the homework on the scene Mm -hmm. to know where the character was coming from, right? And then to be available in the read right right i think that's the thing you know and even if the choice is wildly wrong still make a choice cuz if it's wildly like oh, wow i don't even know what that was but even with self tapes right? right but yeah. you know a casting director will say i don't know what that was but i remember that actor and i am going to find the right thing for that actor and oh okay. here's another here's another little tip um actors with self-tapes, it's really hard. It's really difficult because you put it out there and then you don't hear anything. So you don't, you know what I mean? So you don't get that, you know, you don't get that feedback. Um, when you're in the room, you get instant feedback and you can say, yeah, I did my job. I felt great about that. What, you know, we used to say, I left that on the floor, man. I was, woo, that was great. <laughs> right. But because you don't get that, it's very, it's very disconcerting. You just doesn't feel like a, complete process. Right. But you get another self tape request from that office and you get another self tape request from that office. That self tape request is them calling you in again and calling you in again. It means they really like you and they're looking for something for you Mm -hmm. and maybe they haven't found the right thing yet, but they're going to keep calling you in until they find the right thing. Right.
0: Well, and that's why I think like if you can just love auditioning as a part of the job because again it's connections it's building connections with people that may you may not be the fit for that film but now you're in their head for something
1: else absolutely and you never know absolutely and you never know and you never know which you know circling back to aFI conservatory so many of you know my my actor friends that I reach out to for, um, you know, for some of the shorts, there's some of them that don't go to festival. They're, they're meant to be experimental. They're meant to be places to um, take risks and all, and, and, and in a really safe environment um, or for the, or for the uh, exercises on campus, it's, it's, you know, you're creating relationships. And so there are directors who are now out in the world who are creating like an, an ensemble of actors. They use again and again and again. Exactly. And, some of those actors are people that they worked with while at AFI, right? So, um, and, you know, if I have anything to say about it, I mean, I I actually say to these fellows, they call them fellows at AFI, say to these fellows, you know, they're making relationships among themselves in terms of, you know, directors and producers who are going to work together and editors and DPs, you know, but at the same time, it's like, If you find, you know, if you start finding actors that you really work well with, that you, you know, that you, you know, that you jive well with, um, Hang on to them, well, that's what I do. I mean I've written
0: a couple of short films and directed them, and I have my eye on some actors that I cast in a couple of them just because I love them and I want to work with them yeah so and and you see that also in films. You see a lot of uh, directors like Quentin Tarantino having the same types of people. In his films, a lot of people, uh, a lot of directors will keep the same actors because they know that they can nail the part. So then they write them for the. Think parts. of like Wes
1: Anderson, his universe. Yes, you know? love him. <laughs> I know, right? And and like everybody's always showing up in different roles. Ryan Murphy and his his universe. Yes, showing up in completely different roles from series yeah. to series. Um, and isn't that wonderful? Yeah. I mean, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Victoria. This was fun. This is really fun. <laughs> you, you, you know, you have me talking about like all the things I love the most. So.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, that's, that's what the show is supposed to be about. You know, the inner world
1: of what we love. <laughs> Yay. Oh, that's perfect. Um, well, this has been delightful.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to get out there and make a film reach out to your local filmmakers group to get involved and connect please subscribe to the show if you like it and follow me on instagram at Tammy maguero until we meet again what's your story